I said to you when I started this series, there is no better subject to preach on than Jesus. And I believe that now more than ever. He can change your life if you give Him a chance. I started this series of sermons way back in December of 2012. And here we are 21 months later at the end of the series. It's a lot of sermons that I have preached to you. But I I don't think we have even begun to touch the hem of the garment of what Jesus said and did while he was here on this earth. That, That was John's sentiment as he closed out his gospel. I want to read to you the last verse of John's gospel, chapter 21, verse 25. It says this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that could be written. Think about that. Does that just make your mind spin as to what other things Jesus might have done? What other miracles did Jesus do that we don't know about? Maybe someday when we get to heaven, we will learn the rest of the story. And his story is an amazing story. It is the greatest story ever told. He was the Word of God who became flesh, says John chapter 1. He came to us in the most unusual way. He was born of a virgin. He grew and was the most unusual child. He was perfect. He never sinned one time. Think about that. He was never selfish. He never once disobeyed his mother or his father. He never once fought with his brothers and sisters. They weren't perfect, but he was. And that perfection carried over into his adult life. The perfect child became the perfect adult. He never sinned even once throughout his whole life. He was tempted to sin, the Bible says, but he never once gave in to that temptation. And then he died on the cross for our sins. He became the perfect sacrifice. Three days after he died, he arose from the grave, praise the Lord, defeating the devil's most potent weapon, which was death. Then for the next 40 days, he made appearances to different people so that we might know and have evidence that he really was alive. Do you remember who he appeared to? He appeared to the disciples several different times. He appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus. They did not recognize him. You can read that story in Luke chapter 24. They didn't recognize him until they had sat down to eat with him. And as he was breaking bread, they saw the nail prints in his hands. And then they knew who he was. He appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. He then appeared later to the other women who had been at the tomb as they were were running back into the city. He intercepted them and they recognized him. He appeared to Peter individually and then later he appeared to James, his half-brother. You may remember that Jesus' brothers 
did not believe in him. I would imagine that they, they simply never measured up to their elder brother. They got tired of hearing people say, why can't you be like your older brother Jesus? And so they decided to harden their heart against him. They rebelled against him. They didn't believe in him as the son of God. How can he be the son of God when he's my brother, is what they were saying. But the resurrection changed everything. Jesus appeared to his brother James, and from that point on, James was a believer, and he became a pillar in the early church, according to Galatians chapter 2. I think the same thing must have happened to his brother Jude, because both Jude and James, if you look at the tail end of your New Testament, both of them wrote books bearing their name. They were believers after the resurrection. He made an appearance to more than 500 people at one time, says 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. Let me ask you, if you had a court case that you had 500 people backing up your story as an eyewitness, wouldn't you feel pretty good about your case? Well, sure you would. Because eyewitness accounts are very important. Jesus had so many eyewitness accounts, people who were testifying that he really was alive. And now it was time for him to go back to his heavenly Father. He had accomplished everything that he had set out to do. Every messianic prophecy had been fulfilled. It was now time for him to pass the baton on to his disciples. In doing so, he had some very important words for them. He had some last words for them. You've heard it said, last words are lasting words. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus' last words to his disciples. Verse 18 begins like this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to break this passage of Scripture down for you this morning. Note that he said, All authority has been given to me, in heaven and on earth. Note he did not say some authority has been given to me. He did not say most authority has been given to me. He said all authority has been given to me. My question is, who's giving him this authority? God is. And he has rightfully inherited this authority. No one else has ever conquered the grave. Jesus is the only one who has done that. That gives him the right to tell us what to do and what not to do. I wonder, does he have that kind of authority in your life and in my life? 
Is he your Lord? Is he your boss? I'm not talking about the kind of boss that you give lip service to and then you go on and do what you want to do. That will not work with King Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the universe and he wants to be Lord over your life and over my life. If he truly has that kind of authority in our life, then we will be doing what he tells us to do. And one of the most important commandments that he has for us is right here in this passage of Scripture, which we have just read. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Could I focus on the words, go therefore? The word therefore is there for a reason. What he's saying is this. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, this is what I have to say to you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. Note he has told us to go. Not just sit and wait for people to come to us. And that's easy to do, isn't it? We, we all tend to fall into that category where we can just sit very comfortably and wait for people to come to us. Jesus says for us to go. He tells us to get off of our backsides and go to all the nations. Now, some literally need to do that. And some of you may have the Lord calling you to go and preach the gospel to faraway lands. Now, obviously not all of us are going to be able to do that. And so, if we cannot go to faraway lands, we at the very least need to be giving of our money so that we can help others go to faraway lands and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. But every single one of us have been called to go with the gospel. So this really could be translated in this way. As you are going, make disciples. We really do need to go with the message of Jesus. As we go to work, We need to go with the message of Jesus. As we go to school, we need to go with the message of Jesus. As we go to the rec center or to the football field, we need to go with the message of Jesus. As we go to the family reunions that we attend, we need to go with the message of Jesus. My cousin Donna came to my dad's funeral as she was with us for that whole weekend. It was the weekend of July 9th, and and, uh, our family was together that Friday evening and Saturday. The College Heights Christian Church there in Joplin was just absolutely wonderful. They brought so much food into my mom's house that, that we could feed our whole family, a family of about 60 people, We fed them on Friday night and Saturday night from the food that had been brought. And and we were wall-to-wall people inside of my mom's house. And we, we, we literally had to go in shifts in line to get 
our food and then we would, would make our way. Some sat at the table, some sat on the couches, and some, some went outside and sat on the porch and, and just uh, sat out into the yard with lawn chairs. People were everywhere there of our family. And Donna, for a number of years, has been the black sheep of our family, so to speak. And I think she's rather proud of that fact. Uh, She kind of likes to flaunt her free spirit and and her attitude around the family. She likes to to say things that are shocking to everyone. And she's always got some guy that that she has this latest fling with. And and every time you see her, it's a different guy. And, and, And really, Donna was the one, the cousin of mine, who I was closest to growing up. She's closest to my age. But now, when she starts talking, it's very easy for any who are around her in my family to just get up and find a reason to go somewhere else. You've got to go to the bathroom. I've got to go get a drink. I've got to go refill my plate. Just any reason just to get away from, from Donna. And, and honestly... Sometimes I I have just fallen into that mold too. Just don't want to hear what Donna's got to say. But Saturday evening, after my dad's funeral had been that day, I just sensed the Lord talking to me and saying to me, Kevin, you need to talk to her. Don't just run away from her. You need to talk to her and share with her the message that she's heard years ago, but she's forgotten it. She's, she's not living it. And so we had finished our evening meal that Saturday, and, and uh, we were sitting around, and, and Donna's there, and I said, hey, you want to go for a walk? Well, yeah. I tell you, the rest of my family was just, they were, they were wanting to give me a high five. Because I was taking Donna away from them. And Donna and I went for a walk. And we chit-chatted for a while, but I, I had really one reason to walk with Donna that evening. I wanted to talk to her about serious matters. We had just come through a funeral, and surely there was no better time than the present to talk to her about her soul and eternity. And we had that talk. And I was very straightforward with her, and I, was, I tried my very best to be as gentle and, and as loving as I could be and as truthful to Donna as what I could be. I, I didn't persuade her, but I planted a seed there, and I, I helped her remember her roots of where she had come from and what she had been taught from God's Word. And that's really all I could do at that point. I I entrust that to God now, to work on Donna's heart and trust that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will work on her heart. But go, go with the message of Jesus as you attend those family reunions. You go with the message of Jesus. Go to your neighbor with the message of Jesus. Go to your coworker with the message of Jesus. Go to your classmate. Go to your teammate. Go to your best friend with the message of Jesus. It's good news to be shared. 
We like to share good news, don't we? Several of you were asking me this morning ahead of the service, how are my grandbabies doing? Oh, she's doing great. It's good news. I just like to talk about her. I, I got pictures. I'll show you if you want to see them. We like to talk about good news, don't we? I know a number of you who are Royals fans. You're, you're, you're proud to wear blue this year, more than what years past, maybe. They're doing good. They're playing well. And, and I'm hearing you talk about them more than what you've talked about them in the past. Good news is something that we gladly talk about. You and I have good news that we ought to be talking about. We need to go with that good news of Jesus. I remember my brother in his early preaching used to say this. You can't spell God without go. You can't spell good without go. You can't spell gospel without go. Go, man, go for Jesus, he used to say. And we should go for Jesus. Because he died for us. He gave his all. For us, we need to go with the message of Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. What's it mean to make disciples? It simply means that we are to help people become followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. He is a student or a learner of Jesus. A disciple is someone who begins to look like his teacher. In this case, the teacher is Jesus, and we as his disciples are taking on his likeness, and we need to help others learn about Jesus and become more like him. And that takes time. That takes effort. It takes you and me investing our life into somebody else's life. If you're going to help someone become a disciple of Jesus, you first have to be a disciple yourself. You have to be a follower of Jesus. So let me ask you, what does a disciple look like? Well, the Scripture is pretty clear about what a disciple looks like. According to John chapter 8, a disciple is one who holds to the teachings of of Jesus. Now, depending on what version you're reading from, some of your Bibles may say, a disciple is one who abides in the Word. Or the NIV, I think, says, a disciple is someone who holds to his teachings. A disciple is someone who not only hears what Jesus has to say, but he does what Jesus has to say. That's what a disciple looks like, but there's more to this picture that the New Testament gives to us. A disciple, according to John chapter 15, is one who bears fruit. People fruit and spiritual fruit. A disciple is someone who is growing in the Lord and reproducing themselves in somebody else's life. According to Jesus in Matthew 16, a disciple is someone who denies themselves. We're not all about ourselves. We're denying ourselves and taking up our cross and we're following Jesus. That's what a disciple looks like. Luke chapter 33 gives us a picture of what a disciple looks like. A disciple of, of Jesus is one who loves Jesus more than anyone else. Jesus comes first. 
above every other relationship, according to Luke chapter 14. That chapter goes on and paints more a picture of what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who gives up everything that he has to follow Jesus. Jesus comes first. And so that's what you and I are to be like. That's the picture of a disciple. That's what we are to be striving for in our own life. And as that becomes true for us, we need in turn to be able to try to help others get to that point too. Now, does that mean that that these these people that we are trying to bring the message of Jesus to, that they need to have all of that as a part of their life right from the start? No, that's, that's a lifetime journey. But we are to be trying our best to help people come into a relationship with Jesus to begin that journey in their own life. Go, therefore, and make disciples help others grab hold of Jesus and be committed to him help them to see the value of following Jesus you say how what difference can i make in somebody's life let me read to you from this book that i've just recently started reading It's entitled, Teaching to Change Lives. It's written by a fellow named Dr. Howard Hendricks. And this is just in the introduction. These are his introductory remarks to this book. He says, With the kind of start I had in life, I'm sure I could have soon died and gone to hell, and nobody would have particularly cared. I was born into a broken home, my parents having separated before I was born. The only time I ever saw them together was 18 years later when I was called to testify in a divorce court. As a boy, I lived in a neighborhood in North Philadelphia in which they said an evangelical church could never be planted. But God had a, has a fantastic sense of humor whenever anyone decides what can't be done. He led a small group of Christians to band together, buy a little house there, and start a church. One man in the church was named Walt. He had only a sixth grade education. One day, Walt told the Sunday school superintendent he wanted to start a Sunday school class. That's great, Walt, he was told but we don't have any opening for you. Walt insisted, however, so the superintendent said, good, go out and get a class. Anybody you find is yours. Then Walt came into my community. The first time we met, I was playing marbles out on the concrete. Son, he said, how would you like to go to Sunday school? I wasn't interested. Anything with school in it sounded like bad news to me. So he said, How about a game of marbles? Well, that was different. So we shot marbles. We had a great time, though he whipped me in every single game. By then, I would have followed him anywhere. Walt picked up, here here it is, Walt picked up a total of 13 boys in that community for his Sunday school class, of whom nine were from broken homes. Eleven of the 13 are now in full-time vocational Christian ministry. Wow. 
He says, actually, I can't tell you much of what Walt said to us, but I can tell you everything about him because he loved me for Christ's sake. We don't, none of us have, a, have an excuse that says, I can't, I can't be used by God. I, I, I don't know how God could use me. If God can use a Walt to make a difference in those boys' lives and to, to make such an impact for the kingdom of God. Walt was a fellow who didn't even have more than a sixth-grade education, but he knew how to love some boys, and he was willing to go with the good news that had taken hold of his own life. God can use you if you're willing. He can use you if you're available. He can use you if you are a disciple of His. We need some more Walts who will go and invest in people and help them become disciples. God can use anybody in this role. He has not called us to be talented. He has not called us to be a star. He has simply called us to be available and willing to go with the message. Well, let me ask you, what are, what are we supposed to do with these people who have become disciples of Jesus? What's it say? Or to baptize them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what the passage says. Now, do you think Jesus would have included baptism into his teaching here if it were not important to him? I don't think so. Remember, at the, at the beginning of the sermon, I said, last words are what? Lasting words. If you've ever been at the bedside of someone who has died and they have had something to say to you at that moment, you're going to remember what they said to you. Because last words are lasting words. These are the last words of Jesus to his disciples and they are words that need to be remembered by you and me. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, why is baptism such a point of discussion these days in the church? Lots of people want to say, you, you don't need to be baptized. Well, what did Jesus say? That's who we ought to be listening to. Mark's version of this great commission says this, chapter 16, verse 16, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Note, who is a candidate for baptism? It's those who are old enough to believe. Those who are old enough to make their own decision that they want to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. And honestly, this is one reason why we don't baptize babies here at Community Christian Church. 
Because a baby is not capable of believing. A baby is not capable of deciding for themselves that they want to follow Jesus. I've got a little baby in our family again, a little grandbaby, and she's, she's a precious one to me. But all she can do is just eat and sleep and eat some more and sleep and cry. She cannot choose for herself that she wants to follow Jesus, nor does she have any sin in her life that needs washed away. But you and I do. We're sinners, and we, we need to choose to follow Jesus, and we need to, to understand that we do have sin in our life, and we need to repent of our sin, and we need our sins washed away. And by the way, you can do this study on your own, you don't need me or anyone else to, to show it to you. All you have to do is look into the Scripture. You look into a Greek New Testament because that's the original language of the New Testament. Look up the word baptize and see what it means. It means to immerse. It means to plunge, to dip. And that's why we baptize by immersion because it was the Bible baptism. Why should we do it any different today? If you're one who has not been baptized by immersion and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to have a sense of urgency about you and just come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the other staff members and say, hey, I want to do my baptism the Bible way. I want to follow Jesus in this way. I want to obey Him. And do that with a sense of urgency. We are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's not the end. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Once a person is baptized, he or she needs to have the rest of Jesus' commands taught to them. Baptism is not the end. I hope you hear me say that. Baptism is not the end. We, through the years, we have had, apparently, a number of people who have thought that once they got baptized, that's all they needed to do. Because we don't see them anymore. And it's not because we haven't taught them we have never told them that baptism is all they need to do. They just haven't seemed to catch hold in the message that beyond baptism there is a life to live for Jesus and we need to continue to be taught the teachings, the commandments of Jesus and we need to live those commandments out. And for some reason, some people think that apparently they just take their baptismal certificate and when they get standing before God on Judgment Day, they're going to show them his, their baptismal certificate and they think that's going to be enough to get them into heaven. It will not be enough. And not that we could ever do enough 
to make our way into heaven. We put our faith into Jesus Christ. And our faith is what gets us there. His saving grace is what gets us inside of heaven's gates. But because of His grace and because of His love, we want to continue to live that life for Jesus and receive His teachings. And live by those teachings. It's the church's responsibility to teach you the rest of Jesus' commands. And that's why it's so important for you to be here on a Sunday morning. It's an opportunity for you to worship God. It's an opportunity for you to be taught the commands of Jesus, the way of living according to Jesus. That's why I choose to preach a series on Jesus that lasts for 21 months. I want you as a congregation to know Jesus and to love Him. That's why we encourage you to get into a small group on Sunday evenings so that you can learn what the Christian life is all about and you can connect with other people who will help you live that life out. We are to grow in our Christian life. There was a story in this book that just caught my attention. Hendricks became quite a well-known Bible teacher in his life. And he would travel a lot all over the country and teach God's Word to churches and to uh, colleges where students were being trained for ministry. And uh, one of these trips was coming up, and his little daughter, Bev, Hendricks was writing about how they used to, to measure their children and write it on the wall. How many of you have had such a, uh, a place in your home where you... You measure your kids and you write the date on the wall and, and uh, their name and, and then you have that uh, for years to come. You look, you look back here and see, see where, how tall your kids were at this age and, and they enjoy that. And then the grandkids come along and they'll see that. Well, Hendricks had this kind of a, a place. It was on a door where he would measure Bev and, and he measured her at this point uh, before he took... A, off on this two-week trip that, she, that he was going to be on. And, and uh, he marked her, her name there and her date and how tall she was. And she says, Daddy, I tell you what, I'm going to grow while you're gone. Well, Hendricks was gone for two weeks. And Bev could not wait for her dad to get back so that he could measure her again and she could see how much she had grown in two weeks. So as soon as he got off of the plane and the family met him there at the airport, she's saying, Daddy, we got to get home. we got to measure me because I've grown. I told you I, I was going to grow. And so as soon as they got into the house, you know what happened. They went straight to that, that closet door and they measured Bev. And now whether she had grown or not, I don't know, but... She, she was sure that she had, and Dr. Hendricks went along with that. Later that evening, she asked her daddy a question, kind of setting back. She said, Daddy, 
Why do big people stop growing? Why do big people stop growing? And Hendricks kind of, he answered her funny, funny like. He said, well, Bev, you know, they, they really don't stop growing. They may stop growing up, but they start growing out, you know. He kind of brushed her off with that question, but the, ple- the question stayed in his mind into the evening hours. Why do big people stop growing? Why? And I'm talking in a spiritual sense here now. Why do big people stop growing? It's because we stop doing the things that it takes to grow. We stop feeding ourselves. We, We get lax in our spiritual disciplines. We get lazy spiritually. We... Maybe even we go AWOL from the church and and from Jesus. We stop growing because we stop investing into the kingdom. And that was never a part of God's plan for His children. Jesus' great commission included that the church should be teaching all of Jesus' commands. We need to be taking those commands in our heart and into our mind and acting on them. You need to be finding out what those commands are yourself. And then as you come to a Sunday morning uh, gathering of God's people or as you gather in somebody's home on a Sunday evening, you have ears open to hear what the Word of God says to you. Because I guarantee you, if you come with open ears and an open heart, God will speak to you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus said. He will be with us in this process of making disciples. He will be with us as we go and as we baptize and as we continue to teach His commands. He will empower us. He will go before us and prepare the way. He will fill us up and He will use us if we make ourselves available to Him. He has not asked us to do anything on our own here. He has said, I will be with you. Brothers and sisters, it is our responsibility, it is our privilege to have the great commission given to us. Let's not drop the ball. Let's go with the message. Let's make disciples. Let's baptize them. And let's continue to teach them. That's the duty of the church. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for imparting to us the Great Commission. Help us. Help us to go. Help us to teach. 
to love, to share the good news. In Jesus' name.